reading from the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, for your, for your scripture, for it gives us guidance and direction. It gives us truth in which to live by. And Father, as we reflect on this year and look forward to a new year, help us to open our hearts and minds up to, uh, uh, to allow you to move us in, in ways that are uh, unimaginable. And God, we praise you and thank you for this day and ask your hand of blessing upon Pastor Tyrone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we've all made it, haven't we? We've come to the end of a one year and the beginning of a, another year, and uh, it's really what's what we call a new, new Year's, and the, the reason it's called New Year's is because it allows us to start all over again and uh, to begin uh, anew. Uh, so, uh, so we have our chance here uh, th- uh, th- this year. Uh, this is the last Sunday of uh, 2013. And in two days from now, everything about last year is really going to be gone. And uh, this Wednesday at 12 a.m., uh, we'll be beginning not just a new day, but a brand new uh, year. Now, in this message, I want all of us to look at the way that we lived our life in uh, 2013 and the changes that we possibly need to make in uh, 2014. Um, now, to do that, uh, I, uh, I'm going to use the passage of Scripture that uh, uh, Bill read to us. By the way, uh, our class, the legacy class, is going through the book of James. And if I was uh, teaching this morning in our Sunday school, like we normally have, I'd be doing exactly this passage of Scripture. So uh, the rest of you are privileged to be part of our class this morning. And uh, we're so glad uh, to have you. Now, I want you to see three mistakes that we can make about uh, the future and God giving us a solution to each of those mistakes. I want to begin this message, a message by uh, asking you to take out the outline that uh, is in your bulletin. And uh, if you'll see there on the, uh, uh, on the top, it says the dash. Now, uh, if, you, uh, <clears throat> if you'll just write there where it says birth, uh, the year that you were born. Put the year that you were born. Now, you can hide it so that nobody will see it there, but put the year there that you were born. Then uh, 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 put uh, 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 by a question mark right beside uh, the other uh, side of the dash where it says uh, death. Now, the reason you put the question mark there is because you don't know when you're going to die. Oh, by the way, I do know when I'm going to die because I looked on the computer in that death clock and uh, when I was preparing this message and uh, it says that I'm going to die 
uh, August the 19th, uh, 2026. And so I've got 12 years to, to live here on this earth. So I have a pretty good idea what's going to be taking place. Now, uh, take a good look at, at, at your dates. And, and, uh, and as you're looking at it, I want you to listen very carefully. Every one of us has one of these days on the left. I mean, we all can uh, mark uh, that day. We eat cake, you know, and we blow out candles and receive gifts on that day. Yes, we all have one of those on the left. And do you know that we all in the future will have one of those days also? I mean, that we right now cannot uh, fill the date in. And understand this also, that one day uh, that right-hand date will also be completely filled out. Now, I know we don't like to talk about that, but it's something that is a certainty and it's going to take place. Now, I want you to listen really, really closely as we, I introduce this message. Just as we had no control over that first date. Now, by that, I didn't say, okay, Friday uh, at 7 a.m., October 29, 1940. This looks like a real good day for me to pop out and get on this earth, you know. And uh, no, I just kind of showed up. Uh, we also, for the most part, have no real control over that other date, the day that we will die, uh, the day that our physical bodies will leave this earth and the day our life here is over. Okay, look at those dates now, if you will. And let me ask you a question. Is there anything you wrote down on the left hand of the dash that you can control? Do you think you can control the date on the right side of the dash? Do you see what I'm trying to get you to see this morning? It's the dash. It's the years between our birth and our death. And over that, you and I have control. So my question this morning is to us, as we begin in just two days, a brand new year, is this. How are we spending our dash? Are we uh, doing, uh, what are we doing uh, with our dash? Uh, now understand, you and I only get one dash. Nobody gets two. And I believe that this morning, this moment, the, this last Sunday of 2013, would be a wonderful, great time for all of us to really deal with this particular question. Now you say, why Tyrone? I'll tell you why. Because life really goes by so quickly. Man, young people, I remember 60 years ago, sitting where you're sitting, with my girlfriend, and we were holding hands. And, our, and that was holy, too, because we had a holy Bible covering our hands so nobody could see us. And uh, while I was, we were listening to my dad uh, preach, I mean, time just goes so horribly fast. So let's check out how God describes our dash, how he describes our lives in his uh, word. Uh, James, if you remember, says, whereas you uh, do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life, he asks. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The psalmist writes about the shortness and the briefness of life several times. In Psalms 39, 5, he says, My life is no longer than the width of my hand. 
human existence is but a breath. In Psalm 103, in verse 3, he says, My days disappear like smoke. And then in Psalms 144, verse 3, he says, For we are like a breath of air, and our days are like a passing shadow. And then Job says in chapter 7, verse 6 and 7, My days are running out quicker than the thread of a fast-moving needle. My life is just a breath. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you agree with me that life is really unspeakable precious and unbelievably uh, short? Now listen to me. Because life is so precious and life is so short, it is really insane then to waste it on stupid, unwise, senseless, irresponsible things, you see. And James, in this particular passage, talks about how to face the future, the years that are in between those two dates, the dash, what we can control. He says there are three mistakes that are commonly made that we should be aware of. In other words, he's really warning us about those mistakes. He says, plan for your future, but be aware of these three mistakes. So James says the first, com uh, first common mistake that we make is uh, planning without God. Look at verse 13, if you will, please. Notice how he starts here in verse 13. Come now. You know what that means? Get this. He's really getting serious. He says, now listen, let me have your ears. In other words, James is saying, I want you to get this and I want you to get it real good. So he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, and buy and sell and make a profit. Now James illustrates the first mistake with a typical conversation between a couple of business men. One guy has an MBA from the University of Jerusalem, and the other guy's a CEO of Talavia 500 Company. And uh, they're really talking and discussing their plans here in verse 13. Now here's the question. What's wrong with this? I mean, people make plans all the time, every day. I mean, these are just a couple of business persons in a peruse, uh, go-getters, and they have it all planned out. When? Today or tomorrow. Where? This or that city. How long? We'll spend a year there. What? We'll carry on business. Why? To make a lot of money. Now, what's wrong with this? The Bible doesn't command, uh, condemn making a legitimate profit. Not at all. The Bible, in fact, talks a lot about planning. And this man has planned everything. His purpose, the place, and progress. I mean, he's got all the bases uh, covered, you see. So what is wrong here? Now, here's what is wrong. There's not a single mention to God in this entire business plan. He knew what he wanted. He knew how to get it. Now, are you listening? But he didn't check it out with God first. There's no place for God in his planning. His agenda does not, you see, include God. 
Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. The Bible talks about planting. In fact, in verse 15 of this passage, I, I think God tells us that we ought to plan. And then the book of Proverbs says over and over again that if we don't plan, that I'm really a fool. Now, listen, James isn't talking about planning. He's talking about presentation without God. It's, it's great. Young people, it's great to have dreams. And it's great to have goals. As long as you and I include God. As long as you and I pray about it. There's nothing wrong with what this guy did here. All of these things are fine. It's what he forgot to do. He forgot to include God, you see. His attitude was one of self-sufficiency. And this is what James, you see, is talking about. Now, you can be a believer and really forget God in your life. I mean, you can be a believer, but make decisions without the help of God. I know people who really love the Lord with all their heart. But when it comes to their school education or career or what they're going to do with their life, buying a house or a car, they are practical atheists. I mean, it's sad to meet somebody I mean, who says, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that he even exists. But I think it's a whole lot sadder, sadder to find somebody who says, I believe he does exist, but then acts like he doesn't exist at all. He doesn't make any plans involving the Lord. He just goes off on his or her own as if all depends on them. You say, oh, but Tyrone, I really believe in God. Okay, well then let me ask you this. Does God have a say in what college you're going to go to? I mean, what kind of career? Does he have a say what kind of career that you're going to pursue? I mean, does he have a say in what kind of job you have or would like to have? Or have you talked to God how you're going to retire? Or have you talked to God about your retirement? Listen, the college and career and work and retirement is God's business. That is, if you're a believer. Don't plan without God. That's presumption. Planning without God is practical atheism. So what is the solution then? What is the solution to this? I believe this is the solution. Include God in your goal setting. Include God in your goal setting. Surrender your plans for 2014 to God. Look at verse 15 of this passage, if you will, please. It says here, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do, uh, and do this or that. See that little word, if, there? Have you realized that even the best laid plans often fall through? Uh, there's a thing called Murphy's Law, you know that? I mean, if things go wrong, they will, you know. You can count on it. Right in the middle of life is what? If. Life really is pretty iffy, we could say. 
I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you don't either. I can make an educated guess on it, but planning without God is presumptuous, arrogant, you see. And so I believe the starting point in facing the future is to say this, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me not to do? In 1954, I was 14 years old. I went to a youth camp, and on a Thursday night, I came forward and gave my whole life to the Lord. I kind of realized that maybe God was calling me into the ministry. And God really convicted me. I'll never forget that. It's like it was last night. And uh, a preacher came. He's now been with the Lord for over 35 years or so, Brother Lonnie Smith. He put his arm around me, and he said, Tyrone, what are you coming for? And I said, I'm surrendering my life to the Lord. Now, he knew a little bit about our family and my aunt, uh, Verna was, uh, had been and was a missionary in Nigeria, Africa. She would come home on furlough, bring these pictures home of the, uh, of the people living in uh, huts. And I remember as a kid, I swore I will never go to a place like that. I would never go. And so Brother Smith says, now Tyrone, if you're surrendering your life to the Lord, let me ask you, would you be willing to go to Africa? Now I want you to know, young people, at 14, it seemed like a long time to me, probably wasn't, but I hesitated. This deal of going to Africa, you mean this is what surrender was? Now, I let go and let God have all of my life and every part of it. And thank God, I'll be honest with you, I'm glad he didn't call me to Africa. He didn't. He had me here and to be your pastor for 31 years, and I praise the Lord for that. So I went to Baptist Bible College. In 1959, and an 18-year-old young lady had been out of high school for one year, was working for Prudential Insurance Company, and in front of her was this ladder to climb to great success, and I want you to know that this young lady would have been able to hit the top. At this time of her life, she'd been a rich lady in retirement, and if she would have married the guy that she was engaged to, they'd be living in Florida in a a great big house with big TVs and round beds and a a swimming pool and everything. Well, Anne had a week of vacation, and uh, so the preacher said, well, why don't you go to youth camp with us? So she goes to youth camp, and she gives her whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the preacher said, what would you come for? And Ann said, well, I surrendered my life. He said, well, if you surrender your life, that means you've got to go to Bible school. That was the way it was in those days. Okay, she then, in a month's time, quits her job and goes to Baptist Bible College, walks the campus of BBC, and the first part of October of that year, she and I start dating, and I start winking at her, and she winks back at me. And October the 25th, I ask her to marry me. She doesn't say anything. The next night, we go to the same place where I asked her to marry me, and she pulls out the Bible and reads this portion of Scripture and wrote where it says, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I said, you better think twice before you do that. 
because I'm not going to make a whole lot of money because God's called me to be a preacher. She said, that's all right, I'm going with you. Now, folks, young people and everyone else, I want you to know, for 53 years, she and I have been a team in serving God. And God put something in her heart that was just as special as God put something in my heart. I believe God has a plan for you young girls as much as he does for us guys. He's got a special plan for you. And God put Ann and I together to serve God. And God has a special plan for you, young people, to serve God and do something that God wants you to do. Faithfulness is doing what God wants us to do. That's faithfulness. And boy, am I glad now at 73 to be able to look back and say, I gave my whole life to God. And Ann says the same thing. I tell young people, Christian young people, to pursue their goals after counseling with God and their parents and a pastor and a good Christian people. But give God the freedom and the permission to change your mind and do what he wants you then to do. I remember a preacher saying this in a youth camp to us young people. Write your plans in pencil and then give God the eraser. In Proverbs 16, 1 and 9, it says, we may make plans. Now listen, but God has the last word. We should make plans, counting on God to direct us. You see those words in verse 15, if the Lord wills? The idea is, if the Lord permits. I promise you this morning, whatever God has planned for you, what he permits in your life, how he leads you, his will for your life comes, are you listening now, from his heart. Psalms chapter 33, verse 1 says, The counsel of the Lord, that is his decisions, his plans, standeth forever, and the thoughts of his heart to all generations. And I promise you this morning, God's will for your life is an, expre is an expression of his love so that you can have real confidence to do what, what he, he calls you to do, and, and you don't have to be afraid. These words, if the Lord wills, is not just a statement on a believer's lips. It is a constant attitude in his or her heart. The spiritual Christian submits himself or herself totally to the will of God for, the, for all of their life. And they keep God's viewpoint on their whole life. And we say, Lord willing, I... I will do this, or I will do that. And this is an attitude that demonstrates full submission, you see, to the will of God. Then the second mistake I, we see here in verses 14 and 16 is presuming about tomorrow. Presuming about tomorrow. Look at verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Drop down to verse 16. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting, he says, is evil. 
This is the mistake of taking tomorrow, you see, for granted. Assuming that I'm going to live forever, that I've got the rest, you see, of my life. There are several reasons we shouldn't presume about the future and assume that we've got tomorrow. First of all, in verse 14, notice that life is so uncertain, it's really unpredictable. James is saying you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. Life's one certainty is its share of uncertainty. None of us know what's going to happen tonight, much less next year. All we can do is make a guess. These businessmen here were making plans for a whole year and when they couldn't even see ahead into one day. And let me tell you, they were really confident, as we see in verse 13. Life one day can be great, and the next day it can be the pits, as you and I know. I mean, we've been feeling great for years and get up one morning and go to a doctor, and for the rest of our life, it's completely, totally changed our lives. You can go from feast to famine in your income. Life is so unpredictable. There is no guarantee of anything. And we must realize that we just can't presume on uh, tomorrow. Now let me say this while I'm thinking about it. We shouldn't let that frighten us. That life is uncertain. Don't worry about it or, and don't be afraid. Just let it cause you to trust God that much more. Let it cause you to be more dependent on God. We don't know what's going to happen in our life or our work or our family. It just forces you and me to trust God that much more. And then we shouldn't presume about the future because, as James says in verse 14, life is really brief. I mean, it's short. No, let's look at the word vapor, or it can be translated mist. In the Greek, to tell me it means uh, uh, atmos, where we get the word atmosphere. Our life is like a fog. I mean, it rolls in the morning, but it burns off by, by noon. I mean, who knows how long we're going to live? None of us do. How does the Bible describe our life? Well, it uses phrases like a leaf, grass, shadow, cloud, vapor, puff smoke. You know... Uh, I'm only one heartbeat away from eternity. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Life is so short, it goes so fast from hot wheels to uh, wheelchairs. I mean, diapers, dignity, and, and uh, decay. You know, I found that this verse in Isaiah, chapter 56, verse 12. This is what it says. Come, one says, I will bring wine, and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today, and much more abundant. Do you know anybody with that kind of attitude? I bet you do. Life is great. Let's party. Let's get drunk. Bring the wine. Bring the beer. I mean, the guys who say this have a bumper sticker on their camels. It's party time in Jerusalem. Live it up and have fun. We're going to live forever. And James says, that's a really a dumb attitude towards life. Why? James says, because you can't presume 
that tomorrow is going to be just the same as today. Because you can't presume that you're going to live to be 100. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So James tells us that our life is like a vapor, like a mist. It's like a puff smoke. I mean, we're here just a little while and then vanishing in thin air. And James is simply saying, don't even assume that you're going to have a long life. A Christian youth speaker was speaking to a bunch of high school kids who think that they're going to live forever. And boy, don't we all think that. And uh, he was trying to really jerk them out of this presentation that they are going to live forever. And he was trying to really wake them up. And this is what he said. One of these days, young people, you are going to die. And they are going to take you to the cemetery, drop you in a hole, throw some dirt on your face, and then go back to the church and eat potato salad. Let me tell you something, that was a good wake-up call. So what is the solution? What is the solution? Here's the solution. Live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. Sever each moment of uh, 2014. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Therefore, do not worry or be anxious about tomorrow. He says, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, God will take care of your tomorrow. Live one day at a time. The message by Eugene Peterson wrote, put it this way, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So folks, live one day at a time. That's how God says to face the future. Plan for the future, but you can only live now. I can't, I can't live the future. I can only live, you see, today. Now, just because the future is uncertain and just because the future is unassured or brief doesn't mean that you and I get all uptight and get paralyzed with panic and, uh, and worry. I believe it's a motivation to really trust God that much more. We put our trust in God. That's how we face the future. I don't know what the future holds. But I know who holds the future. That's what counts. And that's what David said in Psalms chapter 35, verse 15. Lord, my days are in your hands. Is it wrong to plan for the future? Of course not. But it is very unwise to forget that God may allow some uncontrollable unexpected events as he, fits it, as he uh, sees fit. Now listen to me very careful this morning. 
ultimately, ultimately, all that happens is for our best. Even when it's hard to see it, it's still for our best. And we must trust him and his plans for the future. Trust God most when you understand him the least. Don't make the mistake of planning without God. And don't make the mistake of presuming about tomorrow. Instead, include God in your planning and make the most of today. Live one day at a time. Presumptuous planning without taking God's providence and wisdom into view, I believe, is a recipe for disaster. All we have is today. So we need to make most of the moment. Take every day and squeeze every drop that you can of that day out. The Bible says that our day is only temporary, short term. So live today. Our lives are too short and eternity too long to leave God out of our life's plans. Then lastly, the third common mistake is putting off doing good in verse 17. Putting off doing good. Now James is talking about the issue of procrastination. I'm intending to do it. Ever met somebody who always who is always aiming to do it? I want to say, when are you going to pull the trigger? You know what I mean? Procrastination is my sin. It's only caused me sorrow. I know I ought to change my ways. In fact, I will tomorrow. Oh, do we love to put it off. James says that it's a really a trap. That's what he says. You see, just because we know the right thing to do doesn't mean we're going to do it. So let me ask you a question. How do you define sin? Well, we think of, uh, when we think of sin, we think of evil activities, don't we? Murder, adultery, cheating, lying, stealing, those are sins of, you see, commission. But there is another sin, the sins of omission. Verse 17, it says, to him who know to do good and doesn't do it. Notice, it is sin. I can do nothing and still sin. Why? Because there are things I ought to be doing. We can be part of a legalistic church. I mean, I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew. And run around with girls that do. We don't do anything, but we still forget God, you see, in our lives. Christianity is much more than simply avoiding evil. I mean, if all that the Christian life was, was a bunch of don'ts, don't do this and don't do that, then everybody who is dead, I believe, would qualify as a Christian. Because they don't do anything. Procrastination is a subtle trap, I promise you. It's the land of someday I'll, one of these days, 
and we never do because we presume about tomorrow. Oh, one of these days, I'm really going to get serious about God. I mean, one of these days, I'm really going to get committed. And God says, you don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. None at all. So what's the solution? What's the solution to that? Here's the solution. Do it now. Do it now. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 through 28, it says, and God says, do not withhold good from those whom it is due. When it is in the power of your hand, do so. And do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. If somebody comes to you and asks you a favor, don't say tomorrow or later. Don't procrastinate if you can do it now. Do it now. In other words, we need to seek God's heart and God's will in 2014 now. You know, I was thinking uh, there are three things you and I can do with our life. We can waste our life. We can waste it. Or we can spend it. We can spend our life trying to require things such as fame, pleasure, and stuff that doesn't mean a hill of beans. Or we can invest our life. The best use of life, I believe, is to invest it on something that is going to outlast it. So what is going to last forever? The Word of God and people. People will last one of two places in eternity. Invest your life in things that will last. The Word of God and people make it count. Some years back, there was a commercial on TV by the Peace Corps. This is what it said. It doesn't matter how long you live if you're not doing anything with your life. For as long as I was home, my mother had an inscription framed on the wall that read this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Well, we worry about the duration, how long we're going to live. But God, you see, worries about the donation. What are we going to do with it? Am I making my life count, or am I squandering it away on the non-essentials, things that aren't going to count at all? God says, make your life count today. So how are you spending your dash this morning? What are you doing with your dash? If we know that the end is coming, and if we know that it may come sooner than later, we are, I believe, fools if we do not prepare. There are two areas of life where this is extremely important, I believe. First of all, this matter of salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, God says, Now is the accepted time. Behold, now 
is the day of salvation. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. Folks, let me tell you, the pits of hell are filled with men and women who said, I'll do it later. The problem with that is, the fact is that later may never, never come. A certain king sent for his court jester, which, uh, which was like a clown or entertainer or a fool, one day, and he presented him with a long stick. And he said, take this stick and keep it until you find a bigger fool than yourself. Well, when the king was lying on his deathbed, the king once again sent for the jester. And he said, I'm going away. Where are you going? asked the jester. To another country, replied the king. What provisions has your majesty made for this journey and for living in the country whither thou goest? The jester asked. None, the king said. And the jester handled, handed the stick to the king. And he said, take it. I have found a bigger fool than myself, for I only trifle with the things of time, while you trifle, have trifled with the things of eternity. Now let me ask you, are you saved? Are you ready for eternity? If you died this afternoon, where would you spend eternity? Have you thought about that? Where would you spend eternity? There's an eternity, folks. One or two places. And your decision for Jesus Christ is going to make all the difference for all eternity. So my question this morning is, where are you going to spend eternity? Are you saved? Are you confident that when you die, You'll go to heaven. I talked to a 74-year-old man about this at Starbucks last Friday. He said, I hope so. I asked him, I mean, do you really want to end your life hoping that you'll go to heaven? I mean, you want to lay on your deathbed? Now think about this. You want to lay on your deathbed wondering? If you'll be in heaven, and I told him, let me tell you something, Saul, you can know for sure that you're going to heaven because God says so. You know what he said in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 there, starting at 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, now notice, and believe in your heart, not in the church, in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead. He promises that you then will be saved. For with the heart when one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And God says, for the scripture says, Whoever, that means you, who, 
whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Then he says in verse 13, whoever, that means you, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, notice the promise, shall be saved. You can know where you're going when you die by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and calling on Him and calling on His name. You know, I was thinking, there are only three things that really matter in life. Three. The people that you love. Number two, the people that love you. And number three, where you're going, where you're going when you die. The second thing we need to prepare for is in this matter of service. The time to live for Jesus, folks, is now. Don't mess around anymore. Quit that messing around. Young people, get it taken care of. Young adults, get it taken care of. And all the mature people, let's get our act together realizing that we only have a few years left to serve God and give it the best shot that we have. We don't have time to waste our years away. Now is the time to serve Jesus. A better day and more opportune time may never, never present itself than today. And I invite you to give your life to Christ, not because you're going to die tonight or you're going to die tomorrow, but because you have to live, you see, tomorrow. The fact is, none of us have any certainty how long we're going to be here on earth. So just consider that very seriously in your planning. And then do three things. Plan with God. The greatest mistake in your life is that we can forget God. We can leave Him out of our life. So young people, maybe many of the others of you, we need to pray, Lord, help me not to plan without you. Number two, don't presume on tomorrow, but live for day. Make every day count. Some of you need to pray this morning. You need to give this to God and you need to say, Lord, help me plan for tomorrow, but God, please help me to live for today. And then number three, don't wait on things that you know are really right, the right things to, to do. Maybe you ought to pray, Lord, help me to stop putting off doing what I, what I know I ought to do. Maybe this morning, it's just giving your whole life to God like Ann and I did. Maybe it's to commit yourself totally to God in whatever area God has given you. Maybe it's to get baptized. You haven't done that yet. Or get involved in our church and go to Pastor Bruce and tell him, I want to be part of this church family. Or maybe it's to get help with some kind of problem. Get rid of that stubbornness and get help. Or maybe to restore a relationship, a family relationship that has been there, even though it's not your fault. 
you still do the best you can to restore it for God and glory. And maybe it's to talk to a family member or friend about Christ. I don't know about your heart. I don't know where you're at. But let me tell you, God does. And I know this, that God is concerned about that. And today's the day. Don't procrastinate. Say in your heart, Lord, help me to do what I know is right to do. Let's bow our heads if we will, please. Every head bowed. We're going to have an invitation. The praise team is going to sing. And you know that with these invitations, it's inviting you to come and pray. And some of you maybe this morning need to come and give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, yeah, but Tarun, I've been a member of this church for a long time. Make any difference. I'd rather you get saved now and, and us ever knowing about it and you end your life and not go to heaven. I'd sure make sure. I mean, are you confident? Are you sure that you're going to go to heaven? That's, that's the most important thing in your life. And Christian, this is what we need to come for. Don't let this new year be wasted. Give your life to God. Let God have it. Our Heavenly Father, I pray now that as we enter into this invitation, I pray, Lord, that you will lead and guide. Lord, you've talked to our hearts. We realize that we have a new year ahead of us. And I know this, you want to use us. And I know this more than anything, you want us to be saved. You want us in heaven with you. You simply died on the cross for our sins. And so, Lord, I pray that decisions will be made this morning to give their life to you. As Christians, we'll give our life to you and say, Lord, take it and use it for the rest of my years here on earth. In Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed, I'm going to allow you to sit. But as we're sitting with our heads bowed, I'm going to ask the praise team to start singing. And as they do, this is your opportunity to right there behind the pew. But I tell you what, there's just, to me, there's something about coming forward and kneeling down and crying out to God and say, Oh, God, I want to be saved. And there will be someone here who will show you how to accept Christ. Or as a young man or a young lady or someone here who would say, God, my life is here. I planned it, but I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to give it to you. Would you do that this morning? Would you give your life to Christ? As our heads are bowed, praise team, would you start singing? And as they sing, will you come?